To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to What's This Dao All About. My name is Todd Perry, broadcasting. Not so live uh, from Long Beach, California. And with me is the great Dr. Carl Totten at the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood. Very much alive and happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone did email us asking, because it had been a while since we put out a show, and they did ask, and it was very kind of them. They asked about our health. Uh, they wanted to make sure we didn't have COVID. Yes. They hadn't heard from us. Yes. And they knew what was happening uh, in Southern California. Yeah, that was very nice. We appreciate the concern. So we had so much stuff to get to on last show that we're just going to finish off last show in this show. <laughs> and uh, we've got some listener mail about leadership and then a very long passage by Changsa. And before we get started, as everybody knows, uh, go to our website, whatsisdao.com. And if you donate $35, you'll get an unreleased show about finding your talents. And three guided meditations by Dr. Carl Totten. It's over uh, two, two, two and a half hours worth of audio, and it helps us uh, keep this show going and spreading the Tao worldwide. And hopefully, it helps keep the world sane. <laughs> yes. And healthy. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, we got some listener mail uh, by a listener named Kyle. And. Um, I'm skipping the part where he compliments the show at the beginning. I know that's always my favorite part to read, but I'll skip it this time. I was on a walk today when an interesting thought regarding the ego crossed my mind. Oftentimes in Taoism and Eastern philosophy, the concept of relinquishing the ego is brought up regularly. Simultaneously, in Western society, effective leadership is often touted as one of the most desirable human traits. My question is this. As someone who is deeply entrenched on the, in the corporate ladder and a possible future leader in my company, is the concept of relinquishing the ego and becoming an effective leader counterintuitive? In other words, do you think taking on more leadership roles is out of line with the Tao? Or is there a world in which one become a great leader while sim simultaneously emphasizing the Tao and limiting the ego? Thanks again from Kyle. <laughs> now, uh, Dr. Totten, please share your thoughts <laughs> for Kyle. You know, if one is part of a, a business, part of a, a corporation, uh, you know, the, in, in a sense, it's almost, um, what's the word? It's almost like a performance in one sense. You know, you go there and uh, you, you, you know, what was it about was it Shakespeare who said, you know, all the world's a stage and we're all kind yeah. of actors, players in this great theater of life. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, if one is going to play in that arena, there are certain things that one is going to have to do knowing that it's a game, but if you're going to play that game, you know, you've got to play <laughs> in, that, in yeah. those waters, so to speak. 
But at the same time, you know, asking about the Tao and, uh, and the ego, you know, certainly Taoists, going back to Lao Tzu, had a great deal to say about that. You know, many of the chapters in the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu is really giving advice to leaders, you know. And so mm-hmm. I, I just kind of, kind of just opened up the, the Tao Te Ching and just kind of, you know, snagged a couple of uh, th- comments that Lao Tzu had as advice to leaders. See, my computer's making noises here, right? Oh, <laughs> I can't hear anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this is from Chapter 3. Uh, Lao Tzu says, Not exalting the gifted prevents quarreling. Not collecting treasures prevents stealing. Not seeing desirable things prevents confusion of the heart. The wise, therefore, rule by emptying hearts and stuffing bellies, by weakening ambitions and strengthening bones. If men lack knowledge and desire, then clever people will not try to interfere. If nothing is done, then all will be well. I think a, a bit of that feels to me like they're trying to um, av- uh, telling people to avoid being that guy in the office who's scheming his way to the mm-hmm, top. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always that person that everybody goes that per- they are unqualified to have their position they have, but they, you know, kissed a little butt. <laughs> you know, they brown nosed a bit. They showed up to the right functions, and they were mm-hmm. a schemer. And it's always that person you can't trust because you know they're going to kind of do you in if they have the opportunity just to get further. Mm-hmm. So, and I think Lao Tzu here is talking about not creating an environment yes. where those kind of people thrive. Yes, not collecting treasures prevents stealing. Not exalting the gifted prevents quarreling. You know, kind of maintaining an what as a leader. In a, in a company, what type of atmosphere is that leader going to sustain and, and, and create? Is it going to be this unbridled competition where everybody's at each other's throats and eventually starts to tear each other down? That isn't good for the, for the company, really. Uh, and likewise, another chapter I, I looked at, chapter 30, where Lao Tzu says this in the Tao Te Ching. Whenever you advise a ruler in the way of Tao, counsel him not to use force to conquer the universe, for this would only cause resistance. Thorn bushes spring up wherever the army has passed. Lean years follow in the wake of a great war. Just do what needs to be done. Never take advantage of power. Achieve results, but never glory in them. Achieve results, but never boast. Achieve results, but never be proud. Achieve results, because this is the natural way. Achieve results, but not through violence. Force is followed by loss of strength. This is not the way of Tao. That which goes against the Tao comes to an early end. Isn't that great advice? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, I think it's, you know, I've worked in corporate culture before where, um, the attitude from management was kind of letting, like, not too authoritative and allowing everybody's individual skills uh, to show. Because if you're kind of authoritative and everybody's roles are rigid, well, in one way everybody knows what there's, they're doing, which is positive. But in another way, there's people aren't allowed to give their fullness to the company. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have other things you can contribute. 
and but you have to hold them back when you you could be giving a lot more because the people weren't so authoritative and kind of listened um to those uh, i guess beneath them mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and i think that i've always responded well having managers or whatever that were did their best to be authentic in an inauthentic situation mm-hmm. because i think work environments are often inauthentic you can't com- you can't completely speak your mind you have to uh, adhere to a certain status quo um, you have to kind of respect those who control your paycheck. Uh, you know, you, you can't be your full self in, in those types of environments. And I've always kind of abhorred them because uh, I thought they were inauthentic and kind of didn't find that my relationships with those in those situations were authentic because we're all put in a kind of inauthentic situation, mm-hmm. you know, where, where no one's really being themselves. Um, but the best environments I worked in where people are allowed to be kind of slightly less professional and a little more themselves. And mm-hmm. I think those are places where people wanted to work longer as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This chapter 66 of the Tao Te Ching where Lao Tzu says, why is the sea king of a hundred streams? Because it lies below them. Therefore, it is the king of a hundred streams. If the sage would guide the people he must serve with humility. If he would lead them, he must follow behind. In this way, when the sage rules, the people will not feel oppressed. When he stands before them, they will not be harmed. The whole world will support him and will not tire of him. Because he does not compete, he does not meet competition. Mm. So you're saying that if there's a leader that's out in front... All the time that people will tire of him, I mm-hmm. or her, and so and Lao Tzu is saying that it's best to actually follow behind. In other words, by being by paying attention to the people who you're responsible for and anticipating their needs, that is the best way to lead. You know, not be, you know being a braggart and you know yelling and screaming and being belligerent. You know that just creates resistance. You know, as Lao Tzu says, you know, on the other hand, because this sage more type of leader, because he does not compete, he does not meet competition. Instead, the whole world will support him. It will not tire of him. Uh, when he stands before them, they will not be harmed. You know, when the sage rules, the people will not feel oppressed. He must serve with humility. So, you know, it's, it's just a, a, it's a different way of, a different style of leadership that's very responsive to the needs of others. And Lao Tzu always felt that the best leaders were those who you barely knew were there. Just everything just was always taken care of. (laughs) Now, here's the interesting thing. Uh, When it comes to people being led, uh, there is a trait that uh, in the book Escape from Freedom that we often... Uh, reference on the show, which I want to do an entire episode on that, by the way. Somebody emailed us about that. Um, But there's a trait in humans that many of them desire to be led Mm -hmm. and told what to do. It's actually, I think, more common than people who want more of hands-off leadership. There are a lot of people that tell me what to do, and and I'll do it, and it gives me a sense of purpose and a sense of identity. Um, I wonder how one squares the circle with the fact that there is a desire for that mm-hmm. type of authoritarian leadership. Mm-hmm. And how, how do we – it's almost like you have to change – I don't know. I don't like the word, but the word the, – the underling, the mentality of the underling to accept 
a type of hands-off leadership where they can uh, thrive as people. Well, and of course, we have to always ask the question, why? Why would someone feel that way? Probably because that's what they've been raised in. <laughs> and they, they've been raised to be disempowered, you know, to not be in touch with their own inner strength and their own inner guidance. You know, they've, they, they've been conditioned to accept uh, extrinsic motivation instead of, instead of intrinsic motivation and are looking for someone to tell them what to do. Uh, of course, a person like that is never going to really fulfill themselves in terms of their total capacity as a human being because they're waiting for someone else to tell them what to do. You know, mm-hmm. So to, in a sense, they've become their own jailer, you know, their own slaveholder. And um, they, you know, they, they need to take those shackles off and realize that they are the one who ultimately has the power. And only if they give away that power are they um, functioning. When they give away their, their power, they're functioning in a way that lessens their capacity to be fully themselves and in touch with the Tao. Because the Tao nurtures everything. In a, it's like a garden. Everything on a field receives each nourishment in terms of water and air and sunlight so that everything in the garden, in the field, can grow to its own fullest potential and, and, and doesn't require something else to tell it what to do because inside of us, we have, just like the plant, as long as it gets some air and some water and some sunlight, it's going to grow. It doesn't need anything or anyone else to tell it how to grow. It's already in there. And, you know, and all of us being in the field of the Tao have this internal capacity. But sometimes that, you know, we've been led to believe that we don't have the capacity for self-growth, for self-actualization, you know, for being able to really move towards what we're in the process of becoming in terms of our full potential, you know. And then we, after a while, we buy that into those limitations and we start to limit ourselves and, and, or, or find some structure or someone around us to do the limiting for us. And now we're just kind of following orders. Now, I think that possibly, uh, given Lao Tzu's guidance on leadership, that somebody like Kyle, who wants to be in a leadership position, uh, can actually, their job is they will see people that they are in charge of that may have this authoritarian view of life that wants to be told what to do. And it could be his job as the leader to open them up to self-actualize. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, you're looking up to me, and no, I'm sorry, my message to you is to open yourself up exactly. and become more self-reliant. And and possibly that may be the greatest leader is one who shuns the authority and empowers instead. Exactly. Very much so. Um, in um, chapter 37 of the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu says, Tao abides in non-action, yet nothing is left undone. If kings and lords observed this, the 10,000 things would develop naturally. If they still desired to act, they would return to the simplicity of formless substance. Without form, there is no desire. Without desire, there is tranquility. And in this way, 
all things would be at peace. You know? mm. And so if, if Kyle could help create an environment where, again, the 10,000 things, you know, all of the employees of the corporation develop naturally, they return to the simplicity of formless substance. And without the desire, there's tranquility, and therefore all things are at peace. And, and things are most at peace when every part of the system is able to complete its own Tao, you know, to be truly that what it is most authentically and accurately is real about itself. And leaders that can create that type of environment, you know, create a wonderful environment where everybody feels like they're winning <laughs> because they are. Um. Also, thinking about this, I think when we talk about leadership, we're talking about lots of times, you know, work, professional life, or maybe sports. Uh, but also, I think as a parent, um, you're in a leadership role. Mm -hmm. And it's always this dance between, as we were talking about the last show, no, 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 yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. um, it's always this thing where I want my child to adhere to certain boundaries, and I think, you know... I think those boundaries help them grow in a weird way. But um, but also at the same time, I I like it when my kid challenges me. Yeah. I don't, You know what I'm saying? Even though he's four, <laughs> I think there's good that he has a rascal in him that's like, maybe dad doesn't know everything. <laughs> you know? So it's like you have to encourage that rebelliousness. I wonder where that, where that attitude came from. <laughs> oh, gee, I don't know. It was the other day my son... What said something like he he's four and he said something like he can do something because he's quote a charmer. <laughs> and I turned to my wife and I said, "You're clearly where he got that attitude, right? <laughs> Thinking he can charm his way through everything and everything." And my wife was like, "Shut up!" Shut up. <laughs> um, Talk about a chip off the old block. Huh? <laughs> unfortunately, and I you know I learned very hard lesson in life thinking you you actually can't get away. With everything based on charm alone. <laughs> there has to be results in life, Dr. Totten, I learned. But um, to conclude Kyle's email, um, there was another part where he was talking about ego. And I think if you follow the Buddhist tradition, dissolving your ego is kind of the highest state. But as we've talked about before on the show, Dr. Totten, you believe that in Taoism that it's not about getting rid of the ego, mm -hmm. that a Taoist doesn't go to extremes, and then a Taoist would believe that actually a bit of ego is helpful in certain ways, and the key is balancing the ego. Correct? A absolutely. You know, uh, you know it, it, in this world, which is three-dimensional, polarized, you know, if a, if a person doesn't have some sense of themselves and their own... Uh, needs and their own strengths and their own way of doing things, which might be defined as ego, if they don't have some of that, it's difficult to make progress and to move through the world uh, accomplishing things that are going to make a difference. Uh, on the other hand, if one is overly stuck to one's ego, where one is lording it over others and being adamant, and it's my way or the highway, and uh, no one else can do this as good as I can, you know, and they're very belligerent, then that creates that resistance and competition that Lao Tzu 
also talked about. So there's this happy medium, this balance between having a healthy sense of self and of ego, and at the same time, using that in service to others and helping others also achieve what they are here to accomplish in life and in the world. So now everyone is feeling really good about what's happening. You know, one has used the ego in service to the Tao as opposed to just in service to the self. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, now we're going to move on. Thank you, Kyle, by the way. And anybody who listens to the show, just uh, we have a contact link on our website, and you can email us too and uh, give us something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. So uh, we've got this great uh, uh, piece by Chongsa. Uh, called Action versus Non-Action. I believe it was titled by Thomas Merton, who is a famous uh, Christian mystic mm -hmm. that he basically pushed for kind of interfaith understanding and was one of the kind of leading voices in bringing ideas like Taoism uh, to the Western world. Mm -hmm. And he he did one of the, I guess, one of the first big translations of Chongsa's work, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. And for those who are listening, who maybe just popped in, this is the first episode you're ever listening to by our show, Changsa is the kind of, I would say, the second most important person in the Taoist canon in terms of writing, uh, the first being Lao Tzu. Uh, and then after that, was it uh, maybe 300 years later, mm -hmm. Dr. Carl, am I wrong, mm -hmm. came the works of Changsa, which are a little more, I would say it's more like prose than the kind of poetic nature of Lao Tzu, but actually this is kind of a poetic piece that Changsa wrote, and it's about action versus non-action. So I will read it here, Very and good. we will discuss. The non-action of the wise man is not inaction. It is not studied. It is not shaken by anything. The sage is quiet because he is not moved, not because he wills to be quiet. Still water is like glass. You can look in it and see the bristles on your chin. It is a perfect level. A carpenter could use it. If water is so clear, so level, how much more than the spirit of man? The heart of the wise man is tranquil. It is the mirror of heaven and earth, the glass of everything. Emptiness, stillness, tranquility, tastelessness, silence, and non-action. This is the level of heaven and earth. This is the perfect Tao. Wise men find here their resting place. Resting, they are empty. From emptiness comes the unconditioned. From this, the conditioned, the individual things. So from the sage's emptiness, stillness arises. From stillness, action. From action, attainment. From their stillness comes their non-action, which is also action, and is therefore their attainment. For stillness is joy. Joy is free from care. Fruitful in long years. Joy does all things without concern. For emptiness, stillness, tranquility, tastelessness. Silence and non-action are the root of all things. Mm. Wow. Where do you start? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, action versus non-action. You know, it's like he started off by saying, you know, the non-action of the wise person is not inaction. It is not studied. It's not shaken by anything. The sage is quiet because he is not moved. 
not because he wills it to be quiet. Still water is like glass. You know, it's kind of abiding in the natural state of things. You know, everything in nature finds its own what? Its own level, right? Yeah. It's, it's in a state of balanced homeostasis. And to the extent that in a biological environment, things are in that state of perfect harmony and balance, to that extent, to that very extent, it can fulfill its purpose and grow and become strong and function and reproduce and, 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 and basically thrive, essentially. Mm-hmm. If anything is lacking that prevents that natural state from occurring, the biological entity will begin to uh, disappear okay. because it doesn't, it isn't receiving enough, enough nurturance from its environment. Now, on the other hand, if it tries to grow too fast, right, and, you know, like you might say, like impose its ego on everything around it, it winds up destroying the environment around it that it needs to support it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, 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 has mo- it has overused action and, and without finding the balance with inactivity. And in, in that way, it can also overuse resources mm-hmm. that are meant to keep it alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And used to keep it in balance, too. And so it's, it's a matter of stimulation and restraint at the same time. You know, if you have too much, say the human body, if the cells and tissues and have too much uncontrolled growth, what's that called? cancer exactly (laughs) and then it winds up destroying you know the system that it was trying to take over you know it takes over but it it can't it can no longer function on the other hand if if the system becomes too cold and doesn't have enough uh, vital energy or blood flowing circulating if uh, uh, if it becomes too lackadaisical and and doesn't you know, function and, and generate enough internal heat and warmth and energy and activity and vitality, what happens? <laughs> uh, it becomes gangrenous? Yes. It's going to wither away and die because it doesn't have enough energy. And so Lao Tzu and Chan Tzu, you know, they were looking at these obvious truths in nature and then trying to align that with the nature of mankind, humankind. Because we are an obvious interconnected part of nature, but too often because we have these brains that can think so much, you know, we think ourselves right out of uh, being alignment with nature and instead become over competitive and overly attached to the ego to the point where it really isn't helpful any longer to us or anyone else. It becomes like that cancer, you know, I was talking about. And so balance in all things is always, you know, the central teaching of all Taoist um, philosophers or poets and and writers, you know, for 2,500 or more years now. (laughs) Now, uh, do you think that the reason why Taoism so heavily pushes the idea of non-action not as to say, like, 
non-action should be 70% of everything, but it's just to push it into human conscious to let them know that that should be half of the deal. Um, because we are inclined to think that action, action, action. We are more inclined to be on, on, on instead of off, mm -hmm. right? We are um, more inclined to more than less. Especially in corporate situations. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Particularly. In fact, it's written right into the by bylaws of every uh, corporation. What? You know, their number yeah. one purpose of existence is to maximize profits, right? Right. Keep pushing. <laughs> keep pushing. Keep, exactly. And I think as humans, we have this desire, keep going, keep moving, keep doing. And it's not that Taoism is saying, don't do it. It's just saying, I'm, we're going to talk a whole bunch about not doing so that you get the point that you should be balanced. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, and our egos love to do what? To compete and, and through competition to win over others. And, and if that becomes a, an embedded philosophy in a person, in a family, in a company, in a society, in a political party, you know, this win at all cost and balance be damned and other people be damned and every person kind of out for themselves. If that becomes the overarching philosophy, you're not going to have a society that is very certainly not going to be balanced. And in the long run, I don't think it's going to be happy because one person's happiness is too dependent on another person losing and becoming weaker and unhappy. And uh, that, that is not a prescription for growth, uh, much less you know, any contentment or harmony. Uh, that, that's going to lead to a lot of uh, burnout, mental, environmental, social, spiritual, energetic burnout. It's interesting. I was watching, um, they had this documentary on ESPN called The Last Dance about Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously Michael Jordan, they often says, is the best person at doing any job that anybody has ever had a job. You know, <laughs> I often think, you know, uh, Michael Jordan and Vin Scully, who was the Dodgers announcer mm -hmm. for so many years, mm -hmm. was so great at that job. I don't think anybody could even come close to being that good at that job. And I just marvel whenever I hear his voice or hear him do anything. And it's maybe a reason why I, uh, at a certain point, decided I like talking into a microphone. You know? <laughs> um, but if you watch this documentary on Michael Jordan, you know, talk about being out of balance. I mean, look, it's, it's helped him, you know, make, make a billion dollars and be known as the greatest of all time. But I'm not sure if he's happy. You know, and watching this, Michael Jordan was competitive over a coin toss. Like, he would sit and before he's walking into the uh, locker room with his team, he's talking to one of, like, the security guards, like, hey, what's going on? Let's flip. And they would sit and they'd, they'd pull out quarters and Michael Jordan would say he would get a kick out of winning a coin flip with these guys as they'd sit and pitch quarters. And he was so competitive. I mean, that's how you become Michael Jordan, right? You have to be moved by, you know, and, and, you have to be a psychotically <laughs> moved. You know, like Kobe Bryant was the same. Yeah, I was going to say, Kobe, same way. You know, of course, uh, Michael Jordan was his uh, idol, right? Yeah, and, and Mamba mentality. The Mamba right? mentality, exactly. And, and again, on the basketball court, which is strictly set up as a field of competition, not cooperation. <laughs> See, that works yeah. in that environment. But most uh, families are not set up that way. 
Uh, companies, you know, really rely on everybody kind of working together as part of the team and helping everybody rise to their level of optimal functioning is something that's important for the entire organization to be successful. And, and it's, it's interesting if you look at the, the trajectory of Kobe Bryant. He went from that kind of Michael Jordan mentality type of person to later in his career growing. Yes. And being a guy that wanted to make other people around him better. Yes. You know, it's like he kind of realized he was out of balance. Yes. Yeah. And and what works in the NBA may not work in your family, <laughs> may not work in your community, you know, where, you know, the most important thing is not, you know, within, you know, X amount of minutes winning the game. <laughs> yeah. You know, your family is not a game, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, it's it's living, breathing human beings who you love and care about, and you want each person to be their best and to be uh, nurtured and content in that environment. If you're the leader of a country, uh, the people in your country, you, I think if you're a, a sane leader, you want the best for, the, for, you know, for, for everyone, and, and that best for everyone in the long run isn't attained by creating this cutthroat environment for the people within and even in international relationships if you're going out there and invading other people and you know, doing genocide and things trying to take and steal their resources what type of international climate or environment do you think you're going to be setting up and don't you think that that's going to lead to some competition, some revenge, you know, you know, what goes around kind of comes around, a little karma. <laughs> and then ultimately you've made the world more unsafe, which is going to make your own country and people unsafe, too. You know, it's a, it's a great way to create terrorists. Yes. <laughs> you know, there's going to be pushback. <laughs> You know, and and pushback. Uh, you know, it, you know. They say the chickens always come home to roost. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, that's true. And many, many, many of the terrorist organizations, if you look into their history, they were caused by the untoward action of someone like us, <laughs> our country. Uh, invading their country, subjugating their people, taking their resources, uh, stopping their cultural and spiritual religious traditions, trying to impose our own, and then guess what happens down the road? Voila, terrorists. Um, looking back at this, uh, there's a couple points. Um, uh, Changsha writes, if water is so clear, so level, how much more the spirit of man? The heart of the wise man is tranquil. And I think they have a whole point where it's like he's not willing himself to be quiet. It's like, you know, I think we often, when we go meditate, we're trying to will ourselves into a, a certain state. Um, we're trying to practice certain things in order to improve ourselves to get to this kind of sage-like uh, state, or at least approach it. Um, but in Chong says, talk about the sage is like he's not tranquil to reach some state of perfection. That That's just who he is, you know. And it's like when often you talk about meditation, that meditation is kind of a practice we do, but the end game is to be constantly in a state of meditation. Mm -hmm. Like he says, you know, th their resting place, resting, they are empty. 
from emptiness comes the unconditioned. Okay, and from the, so so from the sage's emptiness, stillness arises, and then from stillness, action; from action, attainment; from their stillness comes their non-action, which is also action, and is therefore their attainment. For stillness is joy; joy is free from care. Okay, so you know there's a there's an like an innate organic wisdom to the Tao. It's like the universe, the Tao, knows how to do this. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, I know my Zen teacher says that you know, the universe is just filled with abundance. But because we're in our heads so much, trying to overcome others or dominate or manipulate or control, we, we lose touch with that field of abundance and we wind, wind up striving too much and therefore, you know, literally pushing it away. It's like if you try to grasp the air or grasp a drop of water. You know, what happens when you try to grasp it, you know? You can't. You can't. It slips right away, you know. And so because it's already there and we have to relax and slow down enough to perceive ultimately what is already there in abundance. That truly is the way of the Tao. Uh, one last point here, um, as you you just said, it, it said like from emptiness comes the unconditioned, and that's very powerful because it's like the sage is at this point to where all the societal conditioning that we deal with, uh, he or she is free from it. The uncarved block. Yeah, and and they and this is like you know, we have minds that are hampered by knowledge, judgment societal conditioning, conditioning from our family, conditioning from what we see on TV, conditioning from advertising that has kind of polluted this clear sense of self that we have. Mm-hmm. And in, in this way, Chunks is inviting us to kind of uh, participate in addition by subtraction, mm-hmm. by getting out of this, well, first waking up to it, uh, waking up that we've kind of been conditioned, that we've been part of this big experiment that we never agreed to, you know, but then had to accept. Um, it's kind of a rejection of that. And then eventually coming to this point um, of having this kind of mirror mind idea mm-hmm. where what is internal to us is exactly what is reflected in the external. Mm-hmm. And then and that way we reach harmony. Mm-hmm. As above, so below. As within, so without. One of my all-time favorite sayings you know, which you know, which is the basis of alchemy. You know, learning how to harmonize, you know, the external and the internal, because ultimately it's all the same. You know, that our internal was born out of its connection with the external, and the external reflects how we perceive things and function internally. And when the two are in perfect balance, so is life. So are we. And so is the Tao, because the Tao is always perfect. <laughs> 